It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. It's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter. And coming up, we're talking about people go into space again. And, of course, taking listener questions about all the amazing things in this universe because that's what this show is about. This show lives on listener questions. And we record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can follow along online or leave a voicemail over at spaceradioshow.com. And in today's Blue Shift, I will continue to shamelessly plug my book. But first, the news. Hey, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent of the stars. We've got an amazing show where we talk about all the amazing things, but this show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get your question on the air. You can also follow along with our space cadets. Tune in live from around the world, including, but not limited to, Marysville, Washington, Howell, New Jersey, Canada, Denver, Malvern, PA, Dumas, Mississippi, Finger Lakes, New York, Darmstadt, Germany, Pellicidia, Alabama, Ashburn, New Zealand, Texas, Brigade coming in, Hutto, Texas, Kempner, Texas, Austin, Texas, and of course, Shorewood, Illinois, good old Shorewood. My favorite city in Illinois. (laughs) Sorry, I don't know. I lived in Illinois for for five years, okay? I'm allowed to make jokes about Illinois. Seriously, folks, I've only prepped ten minutes of show material tops, so get those questions in. Before I start taking questions, I want to share some interesting bits of news I caught recently. And if you remember last week, we were all bummed because the new SpaceX NASA launch didn't happen because of weather. No technical glitches, nothing freaky. It was just weather, bad afternoon in Florida in May, which is pretty typical. But finally, uh, last Saturday at 3.22 p.m., there was liftoff. We were a go. I I say we. I wasn't involved. Uh, I was covering it live with the Weather Channel, but... That I'm still, I wasn't part of SpaceX or NASA or had any part in it whatsoever in making the thing happen, but we as a species managed to do it again. This is the first private space launch of humans. This is the first launch of humans on a reusable rocket. This is the first launch of humans from the United States in nine years. There were a lot of firsts. And it was flawless. The launch was flawless. The flight was flawless. The only little hitch that came up was that one of the astronauts' pressure suit had a strange, uh, a lower pressure reading than expected. And that happened right before docking with the International Space Station. They checked all the zippers and the flaps and the gizmos and the valves, and nothing appeared to be wrong. So it was a little bit anomalous. And we don't really understand what happened with that uh, flight suit, but 
we'll figure it out. And it wasn't a big deal. They were still able to dock this. The astronauts are on board the International Space Station as we speak, unless you're listening to this, you know, months or years in the future. But if you're listening to it like now or relatively now, then those astronauts are on board the International Space Station. And somewhere between one month and three months from now, NASA hasn't exactly decided, they're going to come back to Earth. And they're going to come back to Earth in the same spacecraft that got them to space, the SpaceX's Crew Dragon module. The Dragon capsule has made numerous re-entries back into Earth and survived Earth's atmosphere, splashed down in the ocean. This is not the first time, uh, but those all of those other times were the cargo version. They were just loaded with stuff or just empty. Uh, there have been tests of the Crew Dragon, which is where humans are on board and not just a bunch of boxes. There have been tests and those were all successful. Uh, there is something interesting about the Crew Dragon spacecraft. It's a little bit asymmetrical. It's not perfectly symmetric on all sides, so it does run a, a slight risk of flipping over. And that's bad because one side of the capsule has the heat shielding on it. It's designed to withstand the heat and friction of entering the Earth's atmosphere. The other side, less so. It's just walls. And so if it flips over, you're going to get two marshmallow astronauts, roasted marshmallows. But uh, the chances are very low, but it's something to watch out for. That was a, a... a deliberate design decision to make it slightly asymmetrical for various flight performance reasons. It's never happened and we don't think it will happen, but it is one little thing to think about. Like the mission isn't quite over until the astronauts actually step foot on the earth again. Until then we'll we'll be watching, we'll be waiting and we'll be watching. That's the latest and greatest when it comes to space and it's time to have a conversation. We've got a voicemail ready to go. Hey, Greg, you know, the one thing that is required of you in this show to execute flawlessly, and that is playing the tape. Can you please do the honors? Hello, this is Alberto Gonzalez from Madrid, Spain. You say that uh, the farthest away you look into the universe, the faster the galaxies are moving away from us. And that means that that the expansion of the universe has been accelerating with time, being slower at the beginning of the universe than now. But when you look far away in the distance in the universe, you are also looking far away in the past. That should mean that in the remote past, the expansion of the universe was much faster than now. So I'd like to know why do you say that the expansion of the universe has been accelerating with time and not decelerating? Thanks. Oh, man, I love this question. Alberto from Madrid, Spain. By the way, I love Madrid. I've been able to visit a couple times. I enjoyed it both times. Okay, I see where you're coming from with this question because when we look at nearby galaxies, we're we're talking about the expansion of the universe, the fact that our universe is getting bigger and bigger every day. When we look at nearby galaxies, they're receding away from us on average with a certain speed. And then when we look at further galaxies, they are receding away from us even faster. And then further, further galaxies, even faster. And then 
I think you get the picture. The farther away you look at a galaxy, the faster it appears to be receding away from us. Now, you take that little nugget, that little fact, along with this other little nugget that the further you look in space, the further back in time you're looking. So if you look at the sun, don't look at the sun, but if you were to look at the sun... It takes light eight minutes to go from the sun to the earth. So you're looking back in time by eight minutes. It's not the sun it is right now in this instant. It's the sun as it was eight minutes ago. If you look at a distant galaxy that's a million, millions of light years away, you're looking at that galaxy as it was millions of years ago, not as it is today and billions and so on and so on. So how can it be the universe is accelerating, the expansion of the universe is accelerating, and it has been for a few billion years. But then the farther away we look, like, like, like there's just a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. So let me try to untangle this one for you. If the expansion rate of the universe were constant, if it was just one number throughout all time, like this is how fast the universe expands, it's not going to be any other number than this one, whatever that number is, from the beginning until infinity. It's just one expansion rate. We will still see this effect of the further away a galaxy is, the faster it appears to recede. Because that is not due to the motion of the galaxies themselves, but due to the expansion of space between us and that galaxy. So if we look at something nearby, like the Andromeda galaxy, a bad example because the Andromeda galaxy is actually heading towards us, but if we look at somewhere in that vicinity, there's a certain amount of space our galaxies used to be closer together and then light was emitted and it traveled along, traveled along. And in the meantime, space has stretched out. And so we see that light get shifted, red shifted. And that looks like, makes it look like the galaxy is moving farther away from us. If we see, look at a more distant galaxy, a long time ago, we were closer together. And then it emitted some light and then it had even more stretching because there's more raw space between us and that galaxy simply because it's further. And so that bit of light had even more stretching happen to it because it just had to go further. And so it appears that that galaxy is getting redshift even more and it appears to be receding away from us even faster. That is true if the expansion rate is constant. We see this linear relationship between distance and speed. A certain distance, a certain speed. Double the distance, double the speed. Quadruple the distance, quadruple the speed. That's true if the expansion rate is constant. If it's not constant, if it's changing with time, if the expansion rate is slowing down or speeding up or doing different things, then this linear relationship will be broken. And then when you go out to look at a galaxy that's, say, eight times further away or a hundred times further away, and it's not quite a hundred times faster, maybe it's 99, maybe it's 107 times, it's that relationship is bent or off a little bit, that tells you that something interesting has happened to the expansion rate of the universe, that it's sped up or slowed down, it's changed. That's different than the images of the galaxies that we get themselves. When we actually take that picture, 
we're getting the light that it sent off billions of years ago. And so it looks younger. It looks different. That is the difference between the red shifting of light, which is how we tell that the universe is expanding, and the actual picture of the galaxy that we see, which is just like looking into a time capsule. So I hope that cleared it up, Alberto. Unfortunately, uh, we do have to take a break. I'm Paul Sutter. This is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Please, please go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can support the show. And you know what? There were a bunch of lucky Patreon people that just got free autographed copies of my new book. And you didn't because you missed out. And that's not my problem, okay? That is entirely – that's all on you. That's all on you. I'll see you after the break. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got more questions ready to go, more than I could possibly answer in this segment, but that's that's what I like. Uh, you can join the conversation by leaving an online voicemail or by following the live streams. Go to spaceradioshow.com to get your voice on the air or just to hang out with the Space Cadets every Thursday at 8 p.m. Speaking of Space Cadets, we've got so many questions ready to go. I'm going to try to I, I neglected the Space Cadets last week because I had so many voicemails. I still have a lot of voicemails, still working through the backlog. If you left a voicemail, don't worry. It's on the list. I'll hit it. I'll hit it. Don't worry. It just may not be this week. In the meantime, let's do some Space Cadet questions. Thunderduck on YouTube is asking, do light and magnetism ever interact? Both light and magnetism are... The same thing. They're two sides of the same coin. They're both part of the electromagnetic force. So yes, light can be affected by magnetic fields, especially the polarization of light can be shifted or filtered or blocked by the presence of magnetic fields. And if you have sufficiently strong magnetic fields and start wiggling them around really fast, you will generate electromagnetic radiation, a.k.a. light. So yes, light and magnetism get along just Great. Constellation Pegasus is asking, who came up with the idea of space radio? Me and me alone. And also the former general manager of WCBE radio, Dan Mashauko, over a lunch uh, a couple years ago, three years ago, uh, some amount of time ago, we were eating lunch and I said, what if I did a show? And he's like, great, done. Alien of Soul 3 is asking, what demon am I trying to summon with the chalkboard behind me? If you only catch this in the podcast version or the radio, I have a chalkboard behind me for YouTube and Twitch. Interesting drawings have been appearing there recently because... Quarantine is really, really getting to my chalkboard. Usually it's able to go to work, uh, go hiking, uh, loves to get a massage, get his nails done, can't do any of that, and it's getting a little bit a little bit loose in the head, if you know what I mean. Luke Duke is asking, which of my books should I read first? Great question. You should read both of them, especially after you purchase both of them. Uh, one is not a sequel to the other. I actually started writing How to Die in Space many years ago, put it down, wrote your place in the universe instead, and then came back to how to die in space. So one is about cosmology and the big picture stuff. And then how to die in space is about things blowing up in the universe. Nancy Graziano is asking, Oh, thank you for wrangling the space cadets. By the way, has there been any determination regarding the exact length of mission that our two astronauts that we just launched, uh, Bob and Doug, which sounds like, 
like a TV show or something like a sitcom will remain on the International Space Station. NASA hasn't decided if they're going to spend one month on there or like over three months. And no, as far as I know, there's no official word yet. I don't know why they can't decide. I don't know what the suspense is, what the holdup is. Are they just trying to keep us all on tender hooks to keep us? I don't know. I'm sure there's some very valid reason that I haven't bothered to look up. This mission of Bob and Doug that just got on board the International Space Station, they'll either spend a month or three months or two years. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Larry Beckham is asking, uh, has SpaceX ever recovered two boosters in the same week before? So we actually had two SpaceX launches this week. One had humans on board and the other had a bunch of SpaceX's satellite communication broadband internet program called Starlink. They're putting up thousands of satellites. I believe they have a few hundred up already in batches of 60 where they're going to provide global high-speed internet to the whole wide world, which is pretty cool. And that launch also happened in the same week as the human launch from Cape Canaveral. Both were reusable rockets. Both were recovered. I believe the one that launched the Starlink satellites, this was its fifth launch, I think. It's fifth reuse, if I remember right. It was some significantly large number. And uh, I believe SpaceX has launched and recovered rockets relatively close together because uh, they're busy. They're busy folks. They're, they're putting lots of stuff in orbit. Uh, moving on, Entropy Harvester over on Twitch is asking, after the heat death of the universe, does the singular object of the uniform universe become a quantum object? So... When we're talking about the heat death of the universe, uh, we're talking about the very, very end of the universe. It's not a finite time. It's not like the heat death of the universe will occur in exactly 10 to the 100 years. The heat death of the universe refers to the fact that as the universe expands, it will steadily go colder and colder and colder and colder. It will approach absolute zero. So all stars will burn out. All galaxies will dissolve. It'll be generally miserable. Uh, it will approach absolute zero, but you can't actually reach absolute zero. So it will just get ever closer to absolute zero without ever touching it. So it will be at one degree and then half a degree and then a quarter and then an eighth and a sixteenth and a thirty second. It will get closer and closer as time goes on. That general state is something we call the heat death, but it's not an end point. The universe will just, as far as we know, continue existing forever, but just be ever more miserable. Uh, we do have a question from Nancy. I was talking about Andromeda Galaxy is going to collide with us. And she's asking, isn't the rate at which Andromeda is moving towards us related to the rate of expansion as it stands today? Uh, it's actually separate. So when we're talking about the expansion of the universe, this is a averaged large scales. This ignores things like galaxies, yes, sometimes are gravitationally attracted to each other, sometimes merge, sometimes sometimes collide. You have to go bigger than that before you get a sense of the expansion of the universe. Milky Way and Andromeda are just destined to crash into each other in about 5 billion years. And I think that's a good place to end. Whew. 
I love it when I do the marathons. I should do those more often. Thank you for all these awesome questions. Unfortunately, I am almost out of time today on Space Radio. But before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio. This is the Blue Shift, which is my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And yes, I'm shamelessly plugging my book. It is out now. It's out there. It exists. It's real. You can get it on Amazon, of course. Uh, you can get the Kindle, the hardcover, and also an audiobook version that I got to read, uh, which is hilarious. And uh, you can also get it at Barnes & Noble. If you feel like going to a store, you can buy it from a store. Uh, you can also get an autographed copy from my website. That's pmsutter.com slash book. And to tease you, to tease you a little, I want to tell you some of the topics that you'll find in this book. Uh, there are four sections in the book. Part one is interplanetary threats, the things you'll find in a typical journey throughout the solar system, like having to deal with the vacuum itself, like asteroids and comets, like solar flares and coronal mass ejections, and of course, the always ubiquitous and always nasty cosmic rays. But once you make it out of the solar system, you're in interstellar space and you still have some nasty surprises waiting for you, like stellar nurseries, like small black holes, like planetary nebulae, and the white dwarves in the Novi. They can go kablooey pretty quickly. But let's say you make it out of the galaxy. Like now you're in pure intergalactic space. You think you're home free in the great void between the galaxies. Well, no, you're going to have to deal with supernovae. You're going to have to deal with neutron stars and magnetars. You're going to have to deal with supermassive black holes in quasars and blazars. And that's all the normal stuff. That's all the normal everyday astrophysics that you're likely to encounter. Then there might be some weird stuff. Section four is the, the speculative threats. Things like cosmic strings, space-time defects, dark matter, hostile aliens, and wormholes. And wormholes. Cosmic is asking, is, are there any Furbies in the book that's FRB for fast radio burst? And yep. FRBs are indeed mentioned. Their name is indeed mocked because how could I not? That's How to Die in Space. If you want a signed copy, go to pmsutter.com slash book. If you don't care about the autograph, that's cool. I'm not going to hold it against you. Hop over to Amazon, get yourself a copy, and, and enjoy it. I can't tell you. I had a lot of fun writing the book, exploring these, figuring out all the ways you could die. I think you'll have a lot of fun reading it. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio 90.5 FM in Columbus for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and visit spaceradioshow.com for all the the links and you can catch me on all social media channels including tiktok of all places at paul matt sutter thanks again space cadets for listening see you next week and remember science is for sharing end of transmission
listening to the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye. Goodbye.